Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. I know a lot of people are planning on re-entering the job market pretty soon, and so I thought this is uh, as good a time as any for us to earn some of that government grant money that we've got, and dispense a couple of helpful hints for people who are seeking employment. So, Kenny, why don't you cue up the music for that helpful hints segment? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm just being informed that we do not have theme music for that segment, and also we do not have a producer. Good to know. Okay, so helpful hint number one. If there's a box on the application for you to fill in additional skills, I would advise you against writing in if I stare at any star in the sky long enough, I can convince myself that it's a helicopter. Because that's my thing! Sorry. Helpful hint number two. If you're asked in the interview what your worst quality is, I think a fun way to go with that is to say, I'm really terrible at interviews. Then, if they don't feel like the interview's going well, then they can just be like, huh, well, they're being honest and I appreciate that. Or they'll be like, no, this interview's going great. And then you get to say, I know, just imagine how good I am at everything else. And then you can have like a fun laugh about that. Now, I would not recommend using that answer if the position you're applying for is reporter or TV show host. If that's the case, you're going to want to downplay the fact that you're bad at interviews. So just tell them that your worst quality is that you're a werewolf. That way you get a few days off a month whenever there's a full moon. Also, if you show up at work naked and covered in blood and not sure how you got there, they'll probably be a little bit more forgiving. Alright, well, now that you're all gainfully employed, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Neil Butler, and he requests that I do it in a Doctor Strange voice. Wong, I tried to read War and Peace, but the page count was preposterous. Here, you read it instead and then give me a synopsis. Synopsis! Thanks, Neil. Defenders, number 105. March, 1982. Rising. Written by J.M. DeMatteis. Drotted by Don Perlin. Inked by Joe Sinnott and Al Milgram. Lettered by Shelley Lefferman. Colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup Doctor Strange, Son of Satan, The Beast, and Mr. Fantastic. Previously in the Defenders. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, Satan and three of the Marvel Universe's stand ins for Satan, Mephisto, Thog, and Satan Nish teamed up to conquer the Earth. The Defenders did their best to thwart Satan and his Satanettes, but were overmatched by the fiendish foursome. In a last-ditch effort to match his perfidious papa's might, Devil Daddy Dugada Damon Hellstrom, aka Son of Satan, sacrificed the goodness in his soul to gain additional power. 
This effort proved largely futile, as Satan was still far more powerful than his offspring, but the Gambit did have an unexpected side effect. Now that Damon was all eviled up, his diabolical dad liked him better. Satan promised that he and his League of Substitute Satans would leave the Earth alone if his son would return to hell with him and train as his apprentice. Damon agreed to the deal and off they went. By the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, and the devil's son. Unfortunately, it turned out that the newly evil Damon still wasn't evil enough. And a few issues later, the devil kicked him out of hell until he could learn to crook it up and fly wrong. Bummer. While Satan squabbled with his substandardly sinister spawn, the Sanctum Sanctimonious received an unexpected visitor. The Azure Intellectual, Hank McCoy, a.k.a. The Beast. This blue-furred former Avenger explained to Wong that he had an urgent matter to discuss with Doctor Strange. But Steve wasn't home, so Hank came in and waited. Then he got bored and left. But he came back two weeks later to discuss that urgent matter. Then he got distracted and ended up helping Devil Slayer fight the reporter whose family he had murdered instead. But after that, he took Steve aside and told him he had an urgent matter to discuss. Gadzooks! What does Mr. Fantastic have to do in this issue? Where do you go when you've been kicked out of hell? And exactly what is this urgent matter that Hank needs to discuss? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so honestly, not a heck of a lot. Arizona and his girlfriend's in a coma. I know. I know. It's serious. Doctor Strange and the Beast sit silently in the Sanctum Sanctimonious, deep in thought. Steve has been staring at a pile of shattered gem fragments that the Beast brought over and has been consulting the Eye of Agamotto about them for several hours. Eventually, he puts the eye down and is like, Beast, I've reached an important conclusion about the shards of the gem you've brought me. Remember how you said they were powerful and dangerous? Well, they are. Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, pops into the room and is like, Hi guys, I've just been doing some science in the makeshift lab I set up in the spare room, but you know what I thought might be fun? If you guys went in there with me and Beast repeated all the information he told us about this urgent problem we're working on. What do you say? That sounds like a good plan to Hank and Steve, so they head into the storage closet that Reed has scienced up. In addition to the usual supercomputers, Erlemeyer flasks, and bubbling test tubes that one might expect from a super science laboratory, there's also a pretty young bespectacled lady standing motionless in a huge bell jar that has a bunch of wires connected to it. Beast is like, Well, as I explained to you at the end of the last issue, but before the start of this one, this is my girlfriend, Vera Cantor. Hi, Vera! Beast continues, an indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, I brought her over to the Avengers Mansion to meet my super buddies. But the butler Jarvis poisoned her. Only it turns out he wasn't really Jarvis, he was a Skrull. You know Skrulls, right? Those shape-shifting green aliens with the scrotum-looking chins? Yeah, he was one of those. Anyway, he sent me and the rest of the Avengers on this big quest to find this nigh-omnipotent time-traveling space gem called the Resurrection Stone 
because that was the only thing that could save Vera. But when we found it, I got the sense that the gem was super duper evil, partly because it was trying to take over my mind, but also the fact that it had devil horns was a pretty big clue as well. I smashed the gem up with my big furry mutant hands, but now I kind of wish I hadn't because my girlfriend is still in a coma. I still know. I still know. It's still serious. Steve is like, well, there's still a great deal of power left inside the shards of the gem. In fact, the gem is trying to use that power to reform itself, and if it should succeed, the planet would be doomed. Potentially, it could also be used to cure Vera, but it's incredibly dangerous. There is no person on the planet who is strong enough to resist succumbing to the gem's corruptive power. Beast is like, then there's no hope for Vera. Steve is like, you didn't let me finish, Hank. As I was saying, there is no person on this planet who is strong enough to resist succumbing to the gem's corruptive power, except for me. I'm sure I'll be fine. Uh, Steve? Pretty sure you're the only person in the room who has been corrupted after succumbing to a magical gem's evil power. Remember the sentient ruby? Turned you into the red Raja? You started quoting Rush lyrics and then tried to conquer the planet? Any of this ringing a bell? No? Reed and Hank are skeptical, but agree to Steve's plan. Steve will magic them inside of the gem shards, they will confront the gem's soul, take just a teensy bit of its power so that they can cure Vera, and then destroy the gem once and for all. Hank, a word of advice? If you hear someone starting to hum fly by night, just conk Steve on the head and hightail it out of there. Meanwhile, somewhere in the Arizona desert, Damon Hellstrom is hanging out with Satan and a bunch of demons. Satan is like, All right, here's the deal, kid. You're more evil than you used to be, but you're still not evil enough. That's why I kicked you out of hell. I'm gonna give you one more chance to do something totally fucked up and irredeemable. If you pass the test, you can move back home and help me run the family business. You in? Son of Satan is like, Yup. Satan is like, Okay, here's a baby. Bash its head in. What the fuck? Damon picks up a big rock and is like, Okie dokie. Holy shit. At the last minute, Damon is like, Ah, crap. I can't do it. Sorry, Dad. The baby turns into a demon and is like, You fucking dumbass! And starts kicking the shit out of Damon. Aw, they grow up so fast. Satan tells the demon to knock it off. He goes all disappointed dad on Son of Satan and is like, Look, you say you got what it takes to be an evil lord of hell, but from where I'm standing, all you got is a bad case of white picket ass from riding the damn fence. If you're gonna be my successor, no more of this... Wah, wah, but I don't want to kill a baby. Bullshit. Because you are my son, I'm going to give you one final opportunity to really commit yourself to evil. But if you fuck this up, we are through. I'm serious about this, mister. Don't make me give this job to your brother. Damon is like, brother? I have a brother? Satan is like, yeah, you know, lies. Heh, <laughs> get it? Because I'm the father of lies, so that makes lies your brother. Ha! <laughs> that may be Satan, but let him still a dad. Back at the Sanctum, Steve and Hank prepare for their mystical adventure. 
Reed is like, I have my doubts about the wisdom of this. Is it safe? Steve is like, Oh, God, no. Not even remotely. I don't know anything about what it'll be like inside the gem or what dangers we'll face. But there might be some useful knowledge in there, and I have such complete confidence in my abilities that I'm certain it will work out all right. Reed is like, Hmm, an ill-advised, untested experimental form of exploration that doesn't take proper safety precautions and is driven by the hubris of a self-proclaimed genius who thinks he knows better than everyone else and whose hair is going white at the temples in a dignified manner? Count me in! Steve does some mystical nonsense, and the unlikely trio of heroes shrinks down and hops inside the pile of magic gem shards. They find themselves on a strange plateau filled with shifting crystalline geological formations. Suddenly, some of the crystals turn themselves into weird dinosaurs and attack the heroes. The gang smashes the crap out of the see-through dinobots and continues poking around. Before long, they run into a giant crystal lady who looks like she's made out of polygons, like she was animated for a mid-90s video game. The crystal lady is like, Hey, I'm the Resurrection Stone. What's up? Meanwhile, in Arizona, a bunch of demons dressed like Roman centurions are whipping Son of Satan as he carries a cross made of demon flesh up a hill. Huh. Satan is like, Okay, Damon, here's how it's gonna go down. We're gonna crucify you on this cross of demon flesh. You're gonna die, and all the humanity is gonna slowly drain out of your soul. Then, after three days, you're gonna be resurrected, at which point you'll be totally evil and fit to rule hell. Sound good? Damon is like, Uh, I guess? Isn't this a lot like what happened? Satan is like, in that one scene in Conan the Barbarian? Yeah, that's where I got the idea. Oliver Stone's scripts are a huge inspiration for me. Yeah, that tracks. Damon is about to hop up onto the cross, but at the last minute, he's like, Nah, you know what? Fuck this. I'm fine with a little blasphemy, but this is taking things way too far. I'm gonna renounce you and your evil dad. I'm going to be a good boy. The son of Satan beats up a bunch of the centurion demons before taking a swipe at his dad. Then he collapses onto the desert floor, exhausted. Good for him. Although I gotta say, the fact that his reaction to blasphemy is exponentially stronger than his reaction to infanticide is at least a little concerning. Back inside the magic gem, the gang is having a little chat with the giant crystal lady. Beast is like, so you're the Resurrection Stone, huh? The lady is like, Yup, pretty fucked up that you shattered me with your big blue gorilla fists. Beast is like, Yeah, sorry about that, but you seemed pretty evil. The giant lady is like, Well, I think smashing my gem and then busting up my crystal dinobots was pretty evil of you. Boo-hoo! She starts crying. Her giant tears splash all over Steve and Mr. Fantastic. As soon as the liquid touches them, the two heroes are transformed into crystal statues. Beast is like, What the fuck, lady? The giant lady is like, 
Ha ha, psych, I am totally evil, and now you are fucking hosed. I used my influence to convince Steve that popping in here was a good idea. That guy is a real pushover for magic gems. Now I'm going to crystal you up like I did your buddies. Then I'm going to conquer the universe. Beast is like, nuh-uh. He jumps around and does some flips. Then he does a cannonball right into the crystal lady and shatters her into a million pieces. Hooray! Or not so hooray. Because as soon as Hank lands, a disembodied voice is like, Ha ha! Busting up that one formation didn't do shit! I'm this whole fucking place, chump! And just like that, Beast 2 is transformed into a crystal statue. Bummer. Meanwhile, Son of Satan awakens to find himself standing in front of his father's throne in hell. Damon is like, so I can stay in hell after all? Oh, that's a relief. I thought you were going to banish me to Arizona. Satan is like, No, but you can't stay here either. I'm proud of you. You made exactly the choice I was hoping you would. Wait, what? Son of Satan is like, Wait, what? You wanted me to choose good over evil? But you're Satan. Satan is like, Sure, I'm Satan. But that's not all I am. Satan's form shimmers and changes. But, like, not all that much. He's like, See, I'm also Thog. And Mephisto. And Satanish. I just pretend there are four versions of me to help me fuck with people. Damon is like, Okay, weird. But that doesn't explain why you want me to be a good guy. I mean, those other three versions of you are all evil too. Satan is like, good point, but those guys aren't the only multitudes I contain. And with that, Satan's image vanishes entirely and is replaced by a beatific bright light that Damon can barely look at. Understandably confused, the discombobulated demonologist is like, wait, so in addition to being four Satans, you're also... Satan is like, yup. I'm God, too. Huh? Damon is like, Huh? Yeah, I feel you, Damon. Satan slash God is like, Yeah, I'm all kinds of stuff. See, good needs evil for contrast or to truly flourish or something. Also, free will and ineffability and, you know, all that freshman year intro to philosophy shit. Anyway, the point is, I love you, son, and I'm stoked you decided to be good. But now I'm going to erase this part of our chat from your brain and turn back into Satan. So God slash Satan slash whatever erases that part of the chat from Damon's brain and turns himself back into Satan. Damon is like, wait, what, what just happened? Satan, because he's Satan again, is like, you suck, and I'm throwing you out of hell is what happened. You're banished, because I'm totally evil, and I'm not proud of you. Now, go away. I've got some brimstone in my eye. Instantly, Damon Hellstrom finds himself transported to the Sanctum Sanctimonious. He sees the Resurrection Stone, which has reformed itself from the pile of shards into a single large jewel decorated with devil horns. Damon picks it up and is like, 
this thing looks evil. And now that I'm a good boy again, I think that's bad. He throws the horned jewel to the ground, shattering it back into tiny pieces. As soon as he does so, Reed, Steve, and Hank are freed from their imprisonment and materialize in the room. Hank is like, Steve, you must have saved us with your magic. Steve is like, yes, that's probably what happened. Although maybe Damon shattering the evil gem helped too. No real way to know for sure. Dusting himself off, Steve zaps the pile of gem shards with a mystic bolt and vaporizes them. Hooray! Beast is like, Bummer about my girlfriend, though. She's in a coma. Steve is like, I know, I know. Reed is like, It's serious. Son of Satan is like, You know what? Let me try something. The dual-natured deity dadded do-gooder yoinks Vera out of her bell jar and thinks at her real hard. A few minutes later, Vera opens her eyes and is like, What happened? Hooray! Hank does some cartwheels and tells her he'll explain later, but for now, they should just be thankful that they're all okay, and also, they should probably go buy a giant goose or something, because it's Christmas morning. Wait, it is? Yup. We look outside and there is a young family carrying armfuls of Christmas presents around. Uh, okay. Well, Merry Christmas, I guess. The end. You know, Reed Richards has a wife and young son at home. I wonder how they feel about him spending Christmas Eve and Christmas morning hanging out in a converted supply closet in Greenwich Village. Uh, who am I kidding? He's Reed Richards. I'm sure they're used to it. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. I am pleased to be back here with you in the comic book room. And I'm pleased to have you. I'm glad you made it back from that dimension you were in last week, where you accidentally drank too much cold brew coffee and vibrated at a frequency out of phase with the rest of our universe. What was the place you ended up in like? Well, just to back it up for a minute, it's a fine line between just enough coffee and too much coffee. Mm. Like, I was in a place that wasn't productive. We'll leave it at that. Tough but fair. Thank you. Well, now that you are back, you want to talk about a comic book? Yep. All right. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? I quite enjoyed it. I was a little confused at parts, especially the ending. Yeah, I was too. I had not known previous to the final page that it had been Christmas this whole time. Mm -hmm. That really seemed to be a left turn out of nowhere. Not necessarily the oddest turn that the comic book took. I was not expecting to learn that God is really the devil and the devil's really God, but also the devil's three other devils and he loves his son. He loves him, but also his son makes him sick. <laughs> I think that probably tracks. I myself am not a parent, but I understand that's a pretty common sentiment. I love you. Get the fuck out. That's like pretty much what he's... <laughs> I think that was kind of the treatment we got when we turned 18, no? Well, yeah, but the whole Slayer's already grown. <laughs> oh, maybe that that's why the vehemence. Yep. Yeah, I gotta say, I 
was surprised how much I enjoyed this comic. It was a really fun read, and yeah, as we both mentioned, it took some turns I don't think either of us expected. Some of them paid off narratively, and others were just kind of fun to gawk at. It was nice to see Mr. Fantastic show up. That's one of the minor things I was not expecting. I liked the kind of split-screen adventure of the comic book. I feel like that doesn't always pan out. And I feel like specifically I'm not generally a huge fan of split-screen covers of comic books, but I actually really liked this one. Yeah, it reminded me of some novels where they'll switch what's going on in the chapters and then we'll bring it together at mm -hmm. the end, which I feel like they succeeded in. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the cover, yes, it's split not quite down the middle, more like two-thirds and one-third, but I feel like a lot of times that just makes for too busy a cover if it's just showing that more than one thing is happening in the book. But this one, it's set up as a dichotomy where you have one side of it is cold as crystal, which frankly I always think of as being a neutral temperature. I guess that depends on the crystal. Or where you leave it. Like, for example, if you're trying to fix your car mm. and you leave it on the hood of the car in the sun. Oh, see, Corey, that's you where got you're... got a hot crystal. That's where you're making your mistake. You're supposed to leave it on the fuel line of the car to increase its fuel efficiency. <sighs> Damn it. Yeah. That's auto mechanics 101, Corey. Look, you had this book on your coffee <laughs> table. I skimmed it. <laughs> I was having car trouble. Now, see, that's how you end up with tainted auras, Corey. Okay. But then, as in opposition to the cold as crystal, we have the other side of the cover, which is Son of Satan in, well, Arizona, we know from the inside of the mm -hmm. book, where it is hot as hellfire. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense thematically to have the cover split that way, and the background for Son of Satan is red, the background for the Beast and Doctor Strange and Mr. Fantastic is blue and cold. Mm -hmm. It's a nice McDLT of a comic book cover. What was... DLT? Yeah, the McDLT was their sandwich where they kept the hot side hot and the cold side cold. It's an 80s thing where they had the styrofoam container that was split in two. I don't know why that makes me so angry. That makes me almost as angry as the Pazone. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Pizone is like... I'm crossing my arms. I know. There's nothing to differentiate it from a Calzone. It already has a name. And just by making it the P-Zone, <laughs> it really makes it sound like you're just talking about your junkular region. That's so dumb. Yeah. Bad job, Pizza Hut. And bad job, McDonald's. I don't care for your <laughs> DLT. Well, apparently other people didn't either. It didn't stick around all that what long. What was the D standing for? mcdonald's oh so mcdonald's lettuce and tomato sandwich i guess you would assume that but no it did have a burger in there that was the hot side if it was lettuce and tomato and one side of it was hot it was just like hot tomatoes and cold lettuce that's not a good sandwich <laughs> you're right now i'm angry at this sandwich too see yeah, you know what all right now i'm crossing my arms that's right we got four crossed arms up in here mm, you don't want to mess with this mcdlt Pizzone. <laughs> but I do like this cover. Me too. When we opened up the book, it seems like there might be a little bit of filler going on. Just in terms of the last page is almost all taken up by a scene 
informing us that it is Christmas, apropos of pretty much nothing. But the opening page is something that we don't generally get with comic books from this era, which is almost a secondary cover that is thematically illustrative of what happens in the book, but not really narratively connected to anything. I thought it was a good image. It made me nostalgic for, like, Silver Age books, but it also was just kind of like, oh, did you not have 20 pages worth of story here? Because it seems like you had a lot more than that, given all the stuff that happens. Yeah, good point. The Christmas thing was weird, too. I think my notes said, strange setup for a Christmas story? Yeah, a retrospective Christmas story, I guess. I mean, there is some certainly Jesus analogies going on in the book, some fairly heavy-handed ones, but nothing about it until you got to that point really screamed Christmas story. Nobody got visited by three ghosts. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. I think if I was Scrooge, I would have fucked with the first two ghosts a little bit more. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because you know that they're not going to hurt you. Because Marley already told you you're going to get visited by three ghosts. So how often do you get to interact with a ghost and know that for sure that it's not going to kill you? Um, maybe just in that scenario? Yeah, so I'm just saying, missed opportunity, Scrooge. But that's not the story that we get here. So yes, I too was very surprised that it turned out to be Christmas. How does that occur to you? Huh? The Scrooge thing. I, I spent way too much time thinking about a Christmas carol, Corey. Gosh, I really don't know why. So, like, when you were a little boy and you first saw the cartoon or read the story? Uh, probably the Mr. Magoo cartoon, I would imagine, first. Oh, my. That just doesn't really... hold up very well. I would assume not. Mm. Mm. But that really just grabbed you, your young imagination. I guess. I don't know. It didn't grab you? I mean, Oh, no, sure it did. Yeah, but kids love Dickens. That's can't... why That's why you call children sometimes that little Dickens. Because of a Christmas story? Well, just because Charles Dickens in general appeals to the very young. Mm. I remember what we were talking about before A Christmas Carol. See, once it comes up, that's all my mind goes to. I'm sorry. So, as surprised as I was to learn at the end of the story that it had been Christmas this whole time, or I guess Christmas Eve technically most of this time, and as surprised as I was to learn that God is really the devil, man, I think I was even more surprised, and frankly quite shocked, to see a baby about to be sacrificed. Like, when that infant first showed up on panel, I was like, Whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Especially when Hellstrom has the rock over his head, and I'm like, holy shit, is he gonna smash that baby? Like, did the comic book's code just be like, yeah, that's cool? Yeah, I mean, there is still the comics code on the cover. I think by the early 80s it had been somewhat defanged in a lot of ways, but I still was not expecting to see a baby sacrificed, and especially, like, to get to see the baby rather than have it be alluded to. Mm-hmm. Now... I know it turned out it wasn't actually a baby, which I was very relieved by, even though they didn't kill it. I was just like, well, you know, if Satan has a baby, probably doesn't bode well for the baby. But it was still just, it was really shocking. It was like something out of one of the Jack Chick tracts. Did you ever get those? I don't know what that is. They uh, Jack Chick was an illustrator who did these uh, super fundamentalist Christian comic strips that would be handed out in little booklets by 
very religious people at Halloween instead of candy to tell you that Halloween was bad and the devil was going to murder you. Oh, jeez. Yeah. They're kind of great in a very, very terrible way. You should, if you get a chance to, check them out. If they just put a piece of candy and, like, wrapped the thing around the candy, they probably would have gotten a lot more mileage. That's oh, like the worst bazooka chill ever. <laughs> like, you eat the piece of gum, and instead of Mort giving you a punchline, it's just like, the devil's gonna eat a baby! But you read every one of those things, right? Yes, true. And I didn't even eat bubble gum. I had to read my sister's bazooka joke comments. See? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. But these Halloween kids are just gonna be like, no fucking candy, no fucking way. Mm-hmm. Garbage bin. Yeah, hope Jesus likes eggs, because that's what he's getting. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus, hmm. Son of Satan really gets put through the old Jesus treatment, like after he declines to baby murder, which, good for him, although I gotta say it's setting the bar pretty low for what constitutes a hero. As his penance, they decide to set him up in a reverse Jesus situation, where he's going to be crucified on a cross of demon flesh. It was odd to me that he was recreating the Stations of the Cross to the extent that he was, rather than doing something that's kind of the opposite of it, you know? Doesn't seem super devilly. No, it doesn't seem like particularly anti-Christy. Like, I don't think the opposite of being crucified is being crucified on a spooky cross. Like... He still has to go through all of, like, the humility and the self-sacrifice and the suffering. It seems like the opposite of that would just be like, and then you need to sit in this lazy boy and eat ice cream for three days. You know, isn't that more the opposite of going through the suffering? Mm -hmm. And, like, and have everybody not deny you. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, yeah, good point. I feel like, well, first of all, let me preface this. Demetrius's writing in this is is great. Like it's flowery in a way that I really like. Mm -hmm. I learned a bunch of new words. I, I, I talk learned about that later. Yeah, I learned two of them. But uh, I think he did get a little carried away with the Jesus thing. Yeah, I mean, especially that the devil made the demons dress up as Roman centurions. Mm -hmm. That'll come <laughs> up later, also. <laughs> I will say it was a very spooky cross. It was. It was very metal. I mean, mm -hmm. very heavy metal, not yeah. like made out of metal. It was made out of demon flesh, as you said. Right, which apparently I don't think, I guess they probably didn't tan it or dry it out because according to Son of Satan, it was very heavy. Oh, they were probably still alive and suffering also. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we see in this comic that Son of Satan is fucking ripped and like he can grind a boulder to dust in his hand. So those demons have uh, been... Packing on the pounds. Maybe they did the reverse Jesus treatment earlier and were sitting in that lazy boy and eating ice cream before they got turned into a spooky cross. Yep, maybe. I like ice cream, but that's still not worth it, man. No. Moderation is good sometimes. Mm-hmm. I had some good ice cream last night. What kind? Bananas Foster and Coco Chocomel. Sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get it? 50 dicks. <laughs> There's a uh, local ice creamery that is called 50 Licks, but they do a giant uppercase cursive L that has the little loop in the front, and it looks like a lowercase d, so. It really does. It, it looks like it says 50 dicks, and I, 
every time I see that ice cream place, and I used to work right across the street from it, I would literally say aloud to myself, 50, wow, it's a lot of dicks. <laughs> Good ice cream, though. It is. So what did you think of the other story? What did you think of the whole beast and his ex-girlfriend having been poisoned by an alien who was in cahoots with a time-traveling, maybe, space gem? It was a little overwrought, I think, but it was a lot of fun, and I love Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Slash the Beast. He is super fun in this book. There's a scene early on where Doctor Strange is examining the remains of the Shattered Gem with his Eye of Agamotto. And Beast is standing on one foot and holding a magnifying glass in the other and is also looking at it. And I couldn't help but interpret that as, oh, he's just clowning on Doctor Strange. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, he can't see any better with the magnifying glass. And he has had months to look at this pile of rubble. So I think he was just entertaining himself by like, oh, looking at things with our equipment, are we? Look, I'll do that too. I think Doctor Strange deserves some clowning in this book. It's too bad we don't have a president of the drama club category for this book because like that scene when he's in a, like a Jesus Christ pose floating. Mm -hmm. I was like, really, man, you don't need to do that. Come on. He does a few things that didn't quite make a ton of sense to me. I mean... It kind of makes sense because it's Steve, but the example that I'm thinking of is, so he needs to examine this rock, and nearby, Mr. Fantastic needs to keep Beast's once-and-future girlfriend, I guess, hooked up to all this fancy equipment so he can examine her. Seems like it would be a lot easier for Steve to bring his one piece of jewelry that he's using that he wears all the time anyway over to Mr. Fantastic's house, the Baxter building, than it is for Mr. Fantastic to put together a makeshift high-tech laboratory in one of Steve's storage rooms. And I don't recall them explaining why they needed to do that. Because Vera? Yeah, it's Vera because I kept thinking it was going to be Vera Gemini at first. Yeah, so there wasn't a reason why Vera had to be in the Sanctum Sanctimonious, right? They could have just eas easily brought her to Reed's yeah. regular lab. Yeah, bring her over to the Baxter building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was no reason as near as I can tell. She, I guess, needs to be kept in a bell jar all the time, or else she'll get more mostly dead. There was a lot of exposition. Thankfully brief. Like, it was all very compressed into a few panels. But, like, I'm just going to read verbatim what the beast explains his predicament is. Because it is whiplash generating fast in the amount of information that it dispenses very quickly, and kind of impressive in that same way. As if he could ever forget his reunion with Vera, the reflowering of the love they'd shared while still in their teens. Forget the look of agony on her face as she fell to the floor of the Avengers mansion, apparently poisoned by the group's own butler, Jarvis who then revealed himself to be a shape-shifting scroll trader with a grandiose scheme. The alien sent the Avengers on a quest through time in search of a fabled resurrection stone, a millennium-old gem with the power to return life to dead. But his journeyings in the past showed the beast how dangerous the stone was, how corruptive its power, and so he destroyed it, destroying Vera's hope of life with it. That's a ton of exposition to get through that fast. It is illustrated in a way that is 
interesting. The things that I found most surprising about the illustrations of that were, one, that I guess the Avengers own the painting Starry Night. I was going to bring that up. I mean, I knew Tony Stark was rich. I didn't realize he was Van Gogh in the workplace rich. Yeah. No, that is serious cash. The other thing that I found very jarring, and I had to look up to confirm that this is what was happening, all of these events that are depicted happened in Avengers number 209, which was also written by J.M. DeMatteis. A portion of it takes place at a concentration camp. Ooh. Yeah. Which... I feel like there has maybe in more recent years been a bit of a walk back against setting your fantastical escapist fiction in concentration camps. I think maybe that used to happen more frequently, but it did just strike me as, oh, I kind of feel like that doesn't belong here. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing, too, that even though there was a lot of exposition that we're supposed to read between the lines is that. The scroll trader is working for the entity that lives inside the gem that wants to come capture Earth people. And that's why he poisoned Vera and also brought the gem back so that they would be tempted to use it to restore her. Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're wrong. And yeah, that makes as much sense as anything else. Like, otherwise, like, why is this dude just showing up and being like, I'm an evil butler? <laughs> Maybe the guy just loves to buttle. Maybe. Every, everybody's got to follow their passion. There's probably not a lot of buttling to be done on the Skrull homeworld. I went down a little rabbit hole with that, too, because I was like, oh, this Skrull guy looks a lot like uh, he has a real Thanos chin. Mm -hmm. Wait, is Thanos a Skrull guy? And, or a Skrull guy? And nope. No. Turns out. Just a lot of different people. If you're in the if you're in the Marvel universe, I think having a scrotal chin is the equivalent of the DC universe having apostrophes in your name. Ah, uh, alien. Just, yeah, this is how people know you're from space. Mm -hmm. I thought you were gonna say evil, but okay, no. from space. Not all the scrolls are evil. Oh, that's good. Most of them, but you don't want to be absolutist, right? But yeah. Then they get into, like, the weird crystal world inside of the gem, and, man, I know the Eye of Agamotto has worked out pretty well for him. But at some point, Steve, just stop fucking with magic gems. You're not good at it. Do you want to end up quoting Rush lyrics? Because this is how you end up quoting Rush lyrics. Mm. I'm going to get into another real Red Raja situation, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Whenever Steve's like, well, it's super dangerous, but we need to research, you know it's going to go sideways for him. It really is. I like how consistently Steve's hubris is his undoing, but for God's sake, man, just leave the gems alone for a bit. A little bit of a flip-flop, too, because I feel like at the beginning, he was like, oh, it's too dangerous, we have to destroy it. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> on the other hand, the gem just told me that it's not dangerous, so... All aboard! <laughs> Choo-choo! Hit it, boys. Let's go meet a nice square-boobed lady. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not fair. Cube-boobed. Oh, yeah, there's three dimensions. Yeah. Yeah, so they meet the, the cube-boob lady, and she's like, Why did you want to blow me up? Boo-hoo! And then they're like, oh, sorry about that. And then she's like, psych, my tears are poison and they're going to turn you into Dinobots. How do you like that? 
They're like, we don't like this at all. This is terrible. Uh huh. And then Beast is just like, well, what if I uh, smash up your crystal? How about that? Huh? And uh, she's like, eh, I don't give a fuck. Doesn't matter. You think this is me? You're all totally hosed. And what ended up really being her undoing, I think, is that in her attempt to try to convince people psychically that she was not evil despite what they may have heard, it never occurred to her to not put devil horns on her gem. Oh, that's a good point. Because when Son of Satan shows up, I think understandably at that point, wary of devil horns, he sees this gem that has devil horns, and he's like, well, I don't like that thing, and he just smashes it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, you got to appreciate the, the extent to which he's going with his gut on that one, because I got to say, if I saw somebody's expensive shit lying around, and I was like, yeah, I don't care for this, just smashing the shit out of it probably wouldn't be my first go-to, but uh, he didn't, it worked out, and really, I think... It just does go to show, don't put little fucking devil horns on yourself if you're going to try to convince people that you're not evil. They serve no purpose either. I mean, uh, I guess maybe they're like a handle. You can like pick it up and look closer at the gem and then... Yeah, no, they don't really seem to be doing much. Nope. So maybe we'll come back to this, but the the son of Satan part reminded me. So we find out his dad is also like kind of like god and god's like the devil and all that mm -hmm. but also satan in that reveal is like but i'm also the opposite and then he turns into mephisto who i always thought was like kind of a bad yeah yeah guy. no no it, it's you're getting the order wrong because first it, it builds up to him being really god because first he's like Oh, yeah, I'm not just the devil. Uh, I think you'll find that people can be a lot of things. Because I'm not just the devil. I'm also the devil's three best friends. The devil, the devil, and the devil. I know. Like, at those which, guys are all me. At which point, that's when Damon really starts to freak the hell out. Because he's like, Mephisto's my dad? <laughs> oh, fuck that! <laughs> I was just getting used to Satan being my dad. But now also, Satan-ish? And then that's what he says. But also, I'm the opposite of all the devil and the devil and the devil. And then he is a being of pure light and goodness that Son of Satan can't bear to look directly at. Because of all of his effluvians? Is that the word? Effulgence. 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 Yeah, he's just way too fucking effulgent to look at. Radiant splendor. Mm -hmm. It's not a good thing to have one word to say. Yeah, that's one of a couple of word-a-day calendar choices that seemed to come up in this book. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll get to the others later. But yeah, no, Son of Satan just, just can't bear to look at him. It turns out he's uh, also God, but you wouldn't understand. And then he turns back to the devil, and then he is in full devil mode, and he shit-talks Son of Satan. And is like, now get out of here, you piece of shit. It's so fucking confusing. Yeah. Imagine being son of Satan. He's getting such mixed dad signals, man. Yeah. First his dad's like, you're the fucking worst. Hey, pick a lane, buddy. Good or bad. <laughs> and he picks good. And he's like, hey, good job. And he's like, what? And then he's like, you make me sick. Get out. Yeah. That's parenting for you. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts going into this on Mr. Fantastic? How familiar are you with the Fantastic Four and Reed specifically as a character? 
uh, no, all pretty fuzzy. I remember reading some of the comics when I was a kid and thinking mm-hmm. they were cool. Wondering how the Human Torch just doesn't set everything on fire all the time, but... It's confusing. It, it's I, Part of the reason that that happens is because they all have uniforms that are made out of unstable molecules, which basically means they can do whatever. So Reed's outfit can stretch with him. He doesn't just end up leaving it behind whenever he goes all goopy. Invisible girl, then later invisible woman, like her costume turns invisible with her because otherwise it, you'd end up with an invisible man situation where you just get floating bandages or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think by the same token, the Human Torch, his costume catches on fire with him, but I think maybe contains it a little bit, too. It is odd to me that Reed is wearing a lab coat while he's still wearing his unstable molecule uniform under it. Like, is that just a signaling to other people that he's doing science? Because it seems like you don't need to worry about getting chemicals on your unstable molecules or staining yourself or whatever it seems like it would just kind of get in the way to be wearing a big lab coat like that i guess pockets are nice well no you just want to look the part too you don't go set up a makeshift lab in strange's storage room and not bring your lab coat yeah that's a good point so i got the impression from this that that reed's pretty cool guy is he awful he's kind of awful okay whenever i get that impression in the comic i'm like hmm that's probably <laughs> the opposite of how it is. Yeah, I, as near as I can tell, he he's he seems like a real piece of shit. Okay. He's nice in this comic, though, right? I think the way that I would probably describe him is he's kind of the science version of Steve. Oh. Where he's very good at what he does, but is also very arrogant, and he sometimes forgets that other people exist. Gosh, that's interesting. So I wonder, would that make them fast friends, or would they just rub each other really the wrong way, Steve and Richard? I feel like it would be tough for them to get along. But maybe that's why the Beast can act as kind of like a social moderator for them. Mm. Because, like, he's chill as fuck at this point. I gotta say, the Beast seems like he's kind of high. I talked about, like, how that was Steve Englehart's take on the character, and that seems to be the version that Demetrius is running with, where I could see him just being a little bit blazed most of this comic book. Mm-hmm. I did also notice visually, he seems a little bit more emo than I'm used to the Beast looking. It looks like he's got like that eyeliner. Yeah, he's got like that Avril Lavigne <laughs> eyeliner going for himself in this. And frankly, it's a pretty good look for him. Oh yeah, yeah, it really makes his expressions pop mm-hmm. when he's surprised. Or very, very happy. Oh, yeah. The one where he's very, very happy, and in that panel, it looks like Reed grew a mustache. I guess if you can stretch your body, can he stretch his hair, too? It's not been depicted that I know of, but I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Well, I mean, like, if he makes his head real big, it's not like his hair thins out, like, and he looks all Charlie Brownie at that point. So I guess he must be able to stretch his hair, too, which means that... He has a potential Wooly Willy situation going for himself where he can instantly grow all kinds of facial hair if he wants. Oh, that's the magnet thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, he should that do that cool. more often. Wouldn't that be nice just to be like, I would like, oh, I don't know, a giant mustache. Yeah. Poof. You know what? Crazy mutton chops it is today. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uh, sassy. <laughs> I'm going to have that Lemmy thing where my giant mustache connects to my giant mutton chops. What? But just for the next ten minutes. 
See, this is the problem with Reed. He never does fun shit like that with his powers. Mm-hmm. Really. I, with great woolly woolly powers comes great woolly woolly responsibilities. You have not just the ability, you have the responsibility to do crazy facial hair shit. What? Bad job, Reed. I might need to change yeah, my words. I was going to say, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, speaking of minutia categories are you ready to get into the minutia or was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we do that no i think everything will come up then yeah rick would you mind singing us in we got minutia it's not the biggest part it's just minutia like cory eating farts we got minutia time to sweat the small stuff thanks rick so cory what category do you feel like starting off with why don't we change things up and start with sound effects? Okay. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? So, I know technically it was a bit of dialogue, but it went with a sound effect and the way that they go together, I liked. Hmm. Which was a ugly bearded demon <laughs> calling Devil Slayer fool and then giving him a stomp. Yeah, with two M's. Mm-hmm. Stomp! That means he's like kind of ground his heel in a little bit. Like, uh-huh. It was very evocative of an uncomfortable. Yeah, and that thing. heel's going to hurt more because he's got cloven hoofs, too. Uh-huh. He's got that little satyr thing going on with himself. Really ugly, ugly little dude. Mm-hmm. Who is also doing kind of a woolly willy thing. Yep. Because he goes from having a giant full, like, Rumpelstiltskin beard to just having long hair. So. Creepy. Yeah. I liked Storm a lot. I also really enjoyed, it was a very minor sound effect. It was drawn pretty small. But when the cube-boobed lady goes to swat Beast and misses because he's too quick, it makes the noise swish. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that it shows they're in a different upside-downy topsy-turvy dimension where swish means you miss. Mm. 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 So I thought that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if it were not made out of steel? I had some choices that went from flowery prose to I laughed so much Tina came in because she was concerned. Oh, really? Yeah. The prose part is from page 12, and it's a little bit of, I think it's an exposition box. The Lord of Lies laughter is like shattered glass as he is swallowed by smoke and fire. Mm. And that is uh, Damon Hellstrom just found out his dad is God and disappeared. That's pretty good. I had some flowery prose I appreciated myself. There were two separate uses of the word lucubrations. Mm -hmm. I had to look that one up too. Yeah. At one point, Damon Hellstrom is lost in lucubrations. And at another point... Stephen Strange says something about my lucubrations. And I was like, oh, I do not know that word. I had to look it up, and it was uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, study or meditation. And I thought, that is kind of fun. I would probably limit it to one use per comic book of that word, though. I also really liked, on the very other end of the spectrum, Beast saying to Steve when Steve is talking about the stone is still extremely powerful. That's just Nifty Kino. Hmm. I like Nifty Kino. I thought that was pretty fun. What was the one that made you laugh out loud? It was also from Beast, and it 
was on, I think, page eight, and uh, it's him saying, start plunking your magic twanger, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the magic twanger plucking. And I think there is a follow-up to that, too, isn't there? Yeah, there's an editorial note that says no, like, magic twanger involved or something. In <laughs> no no magic twangers were injured in the production yeah. of this comic book. What is plunking? That's, like, plucking, I guess? Yeah. Okay. You know. Like you can't I'm... just pluck a twanger, you're gonna plunk yeah, it. Yeah, you plunk it. Like, uh, like the keys on the piano. Hmm. That follows Beast saying, uh, Don't think I'm gonna let you two risk your butts for Vera while I stand around here twiddling my hairy thumbs. Start plunking your magic twanger, Doc. Although there is no magic twanger involved, <laughs> there is a softly spoken incantation. I think you should use this magic twanger. I think so, too. And I think Steve was probably gratified to hear that Beast thinks that his twanger is magic. Probably so. Who wouldn't be? I also did like, we've discussed it in general terms, but the weird little... I don't know, freshman philosophy class diatribe that Satan launches into. The, uh, darkness served its function in creation, Damien. Its role as important as lights. Man evolves as much through adversity as through benevolence. Suffering is as instructive as bliss. Pain blinds man to the truth, but the truth remains. The opposite meets duality merges. Good and evil serve the same eternal one. Man... (laughs) Yeah, I think my notes to that said something to the effect of Satan tries to drop a Hegelian dialectic on us, but loses the synthesis. Mm-hmm. Like it's, he yeah. just gives you all the opposites, but he doesn't give you the meat of the matter. Yeah, yeah, man, it's all thesis and antithesis, he's no just, synthesis! He's just riffing. Dude, how is the devil the guy that forgets about the sin in synthesis? Exactly. Come on, devil. Bad job. Boo! Once again, devil, you're canceled. Hegel's ghost is just sullenly shaking his head somewhere. No, no, no. That's what he sounds like. Yeah. Oh, is that where Hegel is from? Yeah. Okay, now what would it sound like if Hegel and Immanuel Kant were having a discussion in line at a Starbucks, Corey? Uh, Hegel would be like, what is this? Why? Uh, sorry. I didn't set that up okay, properly. Okay, I'll, I'll be Hegel, you be can't. Why is it not the Carmel Macchiato? That was what I wanted. You can't have it. Oh, wait, no, that's not a oh, French so, accent. Oh, so Emmanuel can't? No, he's French, right? I don't know. I thought he was. Is he? I only know him from those Emmanuel movies. <laughs> or is that somebody wait, that's else? The, that's, the, that's porn, right? Yeah, I'm not going to judge the guy. <laughs> Just because he's a philosopher doesn't mean he doesn't also like no, to have a little fun. I, I think that's Emmanuel with an E, like a lady's name. Oh. And this is without, so it's like the guy's They both name. start with an E. That's true. <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough philosophy talk. Every issue of a Defender's comic book has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue... Who did you have as your best offender, and who did you have as your worst offender? Let's start with the good news. Okay. So, yeah, as you mentioned, maybe the bar was lowered a little bit, but I did go with Damon for picking a lane, choosing good, not killing that baby, mm-hmm. saving Vera's life, and ultimately uh, saving the defenders from the 
crystal dimension. Yeah, no, I I had the same choice. I had Damon, and my notes say, didn't murder a baby, smashed a priceless gem on a hunch, and saves Vera. Yeah. So, All right, it's pretty yeah, much good job. Same thing. Conversely, who did you have as your worst offender? Well, I think we kind of already discussed why, but for Steve putting his, his hubris above the safety of the group. Mm-hmm. Bad job, dude. Yeah. And also for, I really didn't like when he was floating with his arms out above it, everybody in his <laughs> lab just being like, look at me, I'm so... <laughs> yeah, maybe that was why he didn't want to go to the Baxter building. It's too cluttered in there. He can't do his full, like, arm extension. Can't show off his beautiful <laughs> Steve wingspan. Mm. I also did want to give a special shout out to at the end, after Damon has just released everyone from the gem by smashing it on a hunch, Beast says, I guess Doc saved our tails. And Doctor Strange says, I did indeed. <laughs> I did indeed sweep us across the dimensional gulfs, but only after someone destroyed the stone again, loosening its grip on us. But rather than be like, no, I didn't. He was just like, yup, I guess so. Somebody else probably helped some. Yeah. And now he's like, nice assist. Yeah, thanks for the little boost there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I had Steve as my worst offender as well. All right, we are a matched set. Indeed. Corey, let's have us a battle of the band names. Wow. Yeah, I've been working on it. Yeah, well, Bruce Buffer would be jealous. Who's he? He's the uh, UFC announcer. Oh, the let's get ready to rumble guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think he would be jealous of all my nice things. <laughs> yep. But he doesn't have a tugboat action figure. Toot, toot, uh, he's a hat. fan of, comboards, of uh, combat sports. So. Mm. Who but... isn't a fan of combat? <laughs> combat. Mortal Kombat! Did I become Coach C? Uh, it happened so slowly over time. Uh, it comes for us all. So, Corey, what band name were you able to find in this comic book? I found a, a few. The first one, I think, won't surprise you at all, but that's the Magic Twangers. Oh, that's pretty good, man. They sound kind of... I don't know, hee-haw-y, like uh, old-timey bluegrass country? Yep. All right. I like the Magic Twangers. I think that is pretty good. Are their songs, like, kind of dirty? Like, do they sing about their pizones? <laughs> oh, you know it. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's, like, a lead banjo and a, and a couple backup mm. banjos. It's a very banjo-heavy ensemble. Yeah, I can see that. Uh-huh. I think that is an excellent name. Uh, one of the names that I had was the Poles of Duality. Whoa. Uh-huh. I haven't really figured out what kind of music they play. Is there uh It's all just magnetic fields covers. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Do Thurmans use magnets? I don't know how those work. Seems like probably it's magnets. Everything cool There's is some done kind with of field magnets these days. Around yeah. them for sure. Yeah, right? it's probably a magnetic field. Electromagnetic, maybe? Yeah, sure. So it's, uh, yeah, they play Thurmans. The poles of duality. That's the only instrument they have? Yeah. That sounds awful. <laughs> Did I tell you our fucking neighbor is playing Thurman music to her plants to help them grow? Oh, Jesus. It freaked me the fuck out. I thought we had aliens. <laughs> or a ghost. Yeah. My mind went aliens, because uh, 
I don't believe in ghosts, but <laughs> but I thought maybe aliens were coming and fucking with the neighborhood. And uh, no, that lady's playing her theremin to her plants. Wait, she's playing. She was playing it, not playing like recorded theremin music. I don't know which it was. I did talk to her, and she said that she was playing the music for her plants, and she would turn it down. Because I guess plants like theremins. I mean, who doesn't? I thought they liked classical music. Yeah, uh, if, you're, if your plants are nerds. Let's try a bot. <laughs> or something. Yeah, if you want cool plants. Play with some metal, or man. scary plants. Yeah. All it's right. Like growing like a zucchini that has a studded bracelet. <laughs> yep, that's how you do it. Yep. What other band names did you find? Speaking of metal, I had uh, Hellfire and Hope. That's nice. Mm. I like that. I like that. It's got the duality thing. Uh-huh. Just like the poles of duality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had Lost in Lucubration. I like it because we just read a comic where I learned that word. Mm. I feel like I could see that being, I know we end up coming back to this a lot, but seems like a Wyndham Hill recording artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, just, you know, mm-hmm. groovy, meditative stuff that has some uh, New England level funk notes <laughs> to it. Oof. Definitely a NPR type audience, I think. Yeah. I also had uh, what I think is also a metal band, but clearly influenced by comic books, which is Scroll Trader. Ooh, Scroll Trader is nice. My final one is kind of, I'm seeing them being like, ah, fuck, what's that band that I think maybe they love Jesus? Evanescence? Do they love Jesus? Oh, I never gathered that, but I didn't, I haven't listened to much of their music. I don't, I don't know. So. Do you know what kind of music Evanescence is? Yeah, it's like a is it symphonic metal. Okay, well, that is the kind of thing that I see the band Effulgence being. Oh. They're like Evanescence, but probably more into gospel. Mm. Wow, that's a hard thing to get your brain around. Yeah, well, they're, they're a challenging band musically. Mm. But honestly, I don't think... Any of them are as good as the Magic Twangers. Yeah? I think we should go with the Magic Twangers. All right. Let's get that triple banjo assault going. All right. So I will post that Twitter poll and see how the Magic Twangers fare. So, hey, I got a question for you. (laughs) It's highly unorthodox, but all right. Behold or be gone. Having a butler. Huh. No cost to you, but they live in your house. Oh, geez. That seems like it kind of is a cost to me. It's a cost to your privacy, for sure. Indeed. But. Lur. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I got the question. Oh, okay. (laughs) Gosh. I mean. Like with the suit and everything. Well, obviously. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm not going to have a butler who doesn't wear a suit. Ah, gosh, you know, I mean, I, I'm tempted by a Mr. Belvedere situation here. I think it would be fun. In general, I just don't want another roommate, and I think I would be uncomfortable having someone who worked for me living in the same house with me. I feel like it would just be a power dynamic that I would not enjoy. On the other hand, I do like Mr. Belvedere. But on a third hand, which I don't know where that thing's coming from... <laughs> I don't want anybody drop-kicking their jacket when they walk through the door. 
I think the idea that you could drop kick a jacket when you walk through a door and no one would stare is lunacy. Because a drop kick, you've got to go full vertical. The jacket's not going to go anywhere. What the fuck is Mr. Belvedere thinking? I think I, I, I don't want that man in my house. Is that from the credit sequence or was that something that happened on an episode? It's the opening credits. Streaks on the china, never matter before. Who <laughs> cares? When you drop kick your jacket, when you walk through the door, no one stares. You drop kick a jacket, everybody's going to fucking stare. Especially if you're like a 300-pound dude like Mr. Belvedere. It's just the song. Yeah. They don't show him drop kicking. No, they don't show him drop kicking it because if they did, everyone would stare and you would see how stupid that fucking song is. Oh, yeah. That's a dumb song. Yeah. So I think I'm giving having a butler a be gone Hmm. because of that song. How do you stand on this butler situation? (sighs) I'm torn. On one hand, I love having a really tidy place. Mm Mm-hmm. I like not answering the door. Yeah. But I share the same reservations that you have about my privacy and my space. And also, if it's not like an equal footing, kind of like a housemate situation, like asking somebody to do the dishes that they dirtied yeah. is fine. But just being like, oh, Mr. Belvedere, would you mind emptying the dishwasher and taking out the compost would feel. Mm-hmm. And please, please stop drop kicking your jacket. Yeah, that I, I think I'd be okay telling him that, but... <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. No, like, you know, take out the garbage or yeah, whatever. Yeah, there, there is streaks on the china, and, and I do care. Yeah, like, that would feel weird. Yeah, it would, and there's also the added thing of having to manage an employee in your off time. Mm. No, thank you. I, I, I just would not care for that. We both have been in managerial positions to various extents in the past, and... I am much more comfortable just letting people do a bad job forever than I am firing them. And I don't want to have to deal with that shit at home. Especially if it's a repeated, like, if there's repeatedly streaks on your china. Yeah. Like, the second or third time that you have to tell somebody to get their shit together. It's just like, well, this is just embarrassing for both of us now. It's painful. <laughs> yeah. I, that was my least favorite part about that type of work. Yeah. So, uh... I'm giving it a begone. I think we got a pair of begones. Pair of begones here. No butlers for us. Sorry, butler. No choice basement dwellings in my southeast <laughs> Portland home for you. Yeah. You'll have to find your own dirty futon in my attic. <laughs> Wait, no, not in my attic. Oh, what? Never mind. You're just gonna There's no him, butlers up there, Corey. let him stay for free and no. not do any work? No, no, no butlers. I, I have that sign out front. Friends, neighbors, and deliveries, welcome. Yes, butlers. Not. Go to hell. <laughs> I don't have anything against butlers. I just don't want to employ them. That's so hard. Some of my best friends are butlers. <laughs> Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most worthy of note? So I understand that due to the comics code and probably just time efficiency, you can't draw junk on demons. Mm-hmm. But the lack of Roman, like, armored skirts or cod pieces or whatever on the demons that were wearing the centurion helmets and breastplates was really conspicuous. Yeah, I think we all miss those demon cod pieces. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that Satan went through the extra step of having his demons dress as Roman centurions seemed like a very odd choice. I definitely noticed that as well. 
Other than that, not a ton of fashion to choose from. I enjoyed Vera's outfit. I think she is the only character that we see in this who is presenting a new outfit for us. I liked her little white kerchief that she's wearing with her yellow sweater and brown skirt. She's like a cowboy librarian. I thought that was fun. I thought it was a little bit of a Velma-esque look with the glasses and the haircut and the skirt and everything. Yeah, a little bit, and her name starting with V. Mm-hmm. I think it may have been an homage. The, the colors were certainly different, but I, I thought it was a good look for her. Mm-hmm. I, I liked Vera. Other than that, I do think it's kind of odd that the Beast wears underpants the same color as his fur for the totality of his uniform. Like, if you're just going to wear underpants as a uniform, I understand that. It's hot having all that fur, probably. But, I don't know, why not make them a different color? I think some nice yellow underpants would really offset the blue fur. Indeed, a complementary color. I think he doesn't want to draw attention to his bathing suit area. His pizone? Right. I can see that. Yeah. Leave the pizone alone. <laughs> well, I think if he wants it left alone, then it should have a, a bright color to indicate to predators that it might be poisonous. <laughs> okay. Oh, pizone also does sound like poison. That's uh. another reason why pizone is the worst name for a calzone. It's unnecessary. There already is a name for that, calzone. It also sounds like you're indicating your private zone, and it sounds like poison. Three strikes. Yeah, sorry, Pizza Hut. You can burn in hell forever. Calzone, you're canceled. <laughs> well, calzones aren't canceled. Oh, Jesus, did I say that? Yeah. That's a terrible thing to say. I like calzones. I do too. Pizone, you're canceled. Yeah. We forgot to talk about Christmas family. Yeah, the Christmas family. They're a handsome family. Mm-hmm. Cute. Not the band, The Handsome Family. Uh, they make sad music, man. Oh, I don't know them. Oh, they're really good, but they're, they're, they're sad. But The Handsome Family in this book, uh, yeah, I like the mother's yellow trench coat with a big wide belt and buckle on it. The kid's dressed in his snowy day outfit. I appreciate that. It's an orange one instead of a red snowy day outfit, but he's all bundled up. Got that little nipple on his head. Mm-hmm. Good luck. And the uh, dad's all zooted up. Pretty good. Trench coat, definitely snowproof. Mm-hmm. Looks like some kind of tweed, maybe. Mm-hmm. Some nice isotoner gloves, probably. Yeah, he's got, he's got a scarf going on under that trench coat. Maybe a pork pie hat or a fedora, somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah I think a, a midway point, a hybrid hat. Mm-hmm. It gets better mileage. Porkadora. Yeah, a porkadora. Mm-hmm. Very popular. Hard to pull off a porkadora, though. Well, on any other day than Christmas, but Christmas is a time of miracles, Corey. Ah, that's true. All right. Good-looking family. Handsome family. Yeah. Now, Corey, despite his continued absence from this title, I think we both would agree that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what are the Hulk's rules? Hulk took a page from Satan slash god in this one which is be aware of all your shit because the stuff you ignore is gonna fester Mm. and probably come out in ways that you don't expect that's gonna damage your relationships with people Mm. like victorian porn Mm? i feel like victorian porn is like the weirdest shit because uh when you have a society that's super repressive and trying to deny all sexuality then it ends up squeezing out in uh weird shapes like a screwed up play-doh fun factory (laughs) he 
<laughs> That's Hulk's rules. Yeah, sorry, I went like four metaphors deep, and I'm not sure they're connected. I'm a little, little tipsy right now. That's but, okay. Uh, it makes no. sense, kind of, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My Hulk's like, uh, hey, clean your mental house, or you'll end up with some uh, Victorian porn like a Play-Doh fun factory. Yeah, it's a little more complicated than he normally goes with his <laughs> rules, but... He's, you know, he's had some time uh, away from the Defenders to really work on his own shit and mm. uh, really expand his uh, metaphor repertoire. Possibly he has also gotten himself a word-a-day calendar, which ties into the other Hulk's rule, which is, when you're using a word-a-day calendar, use it in moderation. Mm. You drop one lucubration per conversation, but uh, dropping it twice in the same comic is a little bit much. Mix it up, mix it up. Like, I appreciate throwing in the effulgence, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't know. Instead of the second lucubration, find an opportunity to use the word propinquitous. Yeah. Yeah, That's you need a fun one, you know? Balance your uh, effulgence with some tenebrity. Sure. Some lugubriousness. Oh, that's a that's good one. That's a fun one, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, those, uh, those are the Hulk's rules, the thing about Victorian porn in a Play-Doh fun factory that you thought of. And, uh, you know, if you got a word-a-day calendar, use it in moderation. Yeah, you don't want to come off scabrous. Mm, no, 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 that would be scurrilous. Oh, that wasn't in this comic. No. Oh. You're were just... the other ones you said in this comic? Yes, that's why I said that. Oh, I just thought we were saying big words. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to engage in that battle with you. That's a fool's errand. I don't know. I just used all the ones I could think of. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Words. They're harsh mistresses. You'll love them, but you never turn your back on them. Oh, no, wait. That's the C. Yep. I was thinking of the C. C That's a very small word. C. Yep. Three letters. It's the smallest you're allowed to use in uh, Boggle, I think. Is it? Yeah. Well, Corey, I got just one more question I got to ask you. Okay. In the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, March, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So, you know how Wong has those big hi-fi headphones that he likes to use to listen to music in the, um, the living room mm-hmm. of the Sanctum Sanctimonious? Well, he was in there, really grooving out, and Steve walked by and was like, hmm, walked by again, hmm, Wong's really enjoying this. And so after Wong left, Steve put the headphones on, and it was the uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts single, I Love Rock and Roll. And Steve was floored yeah. by this. Yeah, it just, it really grabbed him. He listened to it several times, and had to go do some mystical errands, and couldn't get the song out of his head, and was trying to pick it up on the radio waves, as he does with his magical abilities, and he wasn't able to find it enough when he wanted. Mm. So he... Did a pretty complicated spell, which is essentially a mystic robocaller, and oh. called all the radio stations around the entire world, constantly asking them to play I Love Rock and Roll. Wow. By Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, which is why as of March 20, 1982, that song rocketed to the top of the charts and stayed there for seven weeks. Wow. Turns out also that song was actually a cover. Really? Mm-hmm. Written by Alan Merrill and Jake Hooker. Recorded by The Arrows, which is a British rock band, back in 1975. Seems like they should have done a better job with it. Yeah, well, they're no Joan Jett. Mm, Who is? Who is? Man, Joan Jett's great. She is pretty great. As I was driving over here, 
KTON, Classic Rock of Portland, was doing a Joan Jett block. Whoa. Yeah. Did you hear the song? No, I didn't, but I she was playing Crimson and Clover when I pulled into your driveway. I like that song. Do you ever sing along with it and uh, tap your chest so it's like, Crimson and Clover? No. That's uh, fun. You should do that more. Okay, maybe on the drive home, if, if I can steve it up and call the radio. <laughs> do your best. Hmm. That was one thing that Wong was up to. The other doings that Wong was doing related to certain cosmic events that were taking place. See, Wong had been at home. He was grilling up some bratwursts, about to have himself a little bit of dinner. When he was disturbed, there was a commotion in the sanctum. He stumbled into the room and Steve collapsed on the floor and said the word, Syzygy. So, Wong did a little bit of research. It's like, Syzygy? What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, it turned out coming up on March 10th, an event known as Syzygy, where all nine planets, as there were at the time nine planets, we still hadn't kicked Pluto out of the club, were going to be lined up on one side of the sun. And a lot of people felt that that was leading to some kind of an apocalypse or that there was going to be some catastrophic event linked to that astral convergence. And so Wong started calling around all of the mystical people that he could think of to help Steve in whatever he was doing to try to fix this situation. So he called, like, Dr. Druid, and he called... Uh, brother voodoo and just like all of the mystic people in the marvel universe and was like just get over here we're gonna figure something out i've already got son of satan over here i don't know how this is gonna pan out but we're gonna need all of our might if we're gonna deal with this syzygy situation and once they had all gathered he, he ended up waking up steve and he's like all right steve it's almost march 10th what are we gonna do he's like well what what do you mean what are we going to do it's like, you, you collapsed. You had clearly been communing with the cosmos in some kind of lucubration and had divined some information regarding the syzygy. You passed out saying that. I, I've gathered all of these forces. And Steve said, No, Wong, I was saying it smells sausagey in here. <laughs> and Wong's like, Oh yeah, I was making some bratwurst. You want some? And Steve did indeed. Wants a bratwurst because it smelled mm, sausagey, <laughs> and uh, he, he let uh, Brother Voodoo and uh, Doctor Druid have some too, and they had a a fine time eating bratwursts on March tenth. That's nice. Yeah, you ever read the Theodore Sturgeon story? It wasn't syzygy. I don't believe I did. It's a really good one. Oh. I like Theodore Sturgeon, and that's the Wong doings that Wong was doing in March of nineteen eighty two. Nice job. Yeah, listening to some Joan Jet, perhaps against his will, and eating some brats. It's a good month. I can think of worse. Corey, thank you so much for uh, joining me. You're I welcome. had a great time talking this uh, Defenders comic book with you. It was a pleasure to read. We will be back to read another Teen Titans comic, one which I believe does deal with Danny Chase, so maybe less of a pleasure to read. We will have to see. But, uh,. I'm still looking forward to seeing you again. Likewise. And we'll be back in two weeks to find out what's going on with Nighthawk, who was uh, conspicuous by his absence in this issue. So I'm curious as to what's going on with him and Val and Gargoyle and Daredevil and those fake G-men. Did anybody end up eating that sheet cake? I hope we learn. I hope so, too. I hate it when cake gets wasted. Food in general. 
In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense P.O. Box 20311 Portland, Oregon 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically, can you imagine, at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the socials media. Just stop in at one of those uh, websites and say hi to us. The well, what, you you had a portmanteau that you enjoyed for social media. Oh gosh, I don't remember what it was. I don't either. Well, there's a portmanteau for all the socials media. So why don't you make one up and use it and apply it to this show and say hello. Find us at seacaptainsonly.com. That's our homepage, right? I haven't been to that one yet. It's just a dating site for sea captains. I don't think we're actually signed up on it. I mean, I don't think... You've either. been telling people who are signed up on there for years, or not? I'm not a sea captain. I don't own a boat, do How you? Did they can't... What do they... I'm not gonna do, do a s- background check? I'm not gonna do stolen nautical valor? Is that valor? Owning a boat? Yeah, it's just like a designation. Oh, Corey, I've, I have heard it on very good authorities that the two best days in your life are the day you buy your boat and the day you sell your boat. See, you're practically there. If you know that. All right. Find us on seacaptainsonly.com. And hey, if you can't find us there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. That's where we like to stay. Corey, what are you doing in people's hearts this week? I am probably going to be installing some high-efficiency air conditioning units. Ooh. Yeah, it's a little bit warm in here right now. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if uh, when we were inside people's hearts, it was a little chillier. Mm-hmm. Low energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Quiet. Mm-hmm. A cold heart is a happy heart. It's, and then you get to have uh, warm hands. Isn't that the thing? Like warm hands, cold heart? Oh, or is it just uh, the opposite? Brendan Benson song, right? I don't know who that is. Who's Brendan Benson? Are you thinking of Benson, who worked for... No, no. Was he a butler? A uh, songwriter. Oh. Uh, the Raconteurs? I think that's a guy's name. I don't know. I got your name wrong. Sorry, sir. Excellent song. And I'm sorry if I got Robert Guillaume's name wrong. You play Benson. I don't think I got it wrong. No, though. that's not It's Robert Guillaume, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a couple butler shows we got in one episode. Ah, uh, see, I, do, I don't want to have a butler, but I would like to hang out with Robert Guillaume. Oh, sure. He, he seems, seems pretty cool. cool. What are you doing in their hearts? Gosh, I might be watching Benson. <laughs> Good call. Yeah, I'm going to try to watch that one episode where he and the governor, uh, is, or is it Helga? He and Helga get stuck in the walk-in cooler, and they have to reminisce about the past. I feel like every sitcom used to have an episode that that was the premise of, but I'm pretty sure there was a Benson one. Maybe they were in the wine cellar. Either way, air was given out, and uh, he and Helga had to come to terms with the fact that they did deep down respect one another and care about each other, so that was nice. That is nice. Was her name Helga? That seems right. Okay. I haven't literally watched that since it was on in the 80s. Well, Corey, I'm going to have it on in people's hearts. Why don't you come into the other room and watch? I will as soon as I'm done with these ACs. Nice. Cool air and hot Benson. Is there a better way to relax? <laughs> if you would like to support the show monetarily, you could do so by checking us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do get access to a whole bunch of bonus material, there is the 
podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. That's a nice time. And there's a whole bunch of other bonus material up there. Just, uh, I don't know, float around and see what you can find and uh, check out some of the video reviews of classic comics that I make that are up there. All that material is available exclusively for our donors as a thank you for supporting us and making it possible for us to keep doing this show. It really does mean the world to me, and so thank you for that. If you would like to support the show non-monetarily, Corey, what's the way people can do that? The two main ways that occur to me, other than watching Benson in an air-conditioned I don't know that that helps the show, but it doesn't hurt us. Are telling people... Mm-hmm. Just spread the word. Yeah. Hey, there's the show. You should give it a listen. Yeah. Spread the word like it was warm butter on corn on the cob. It'll warm the cockles of your heart. Oh, cockles and corn would probably go well together. Oh, yeah, like a boil. Yeah, like a seafood, seafood boil. Seafood boil. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, put some Old Bay in there. Mmm. So do that, and then also uh, you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, just... Hop on in there and write a review that says, Tighten up the defense. It's almost as much fun as watching some hot Benson in some cool air conditioning. Five Five stars. stars. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Until next time, remember, Victorian porn is weird because of Play-Doh? I don't remember how that metaphor went. Let's go. Hot Benson sounds like a sandwich. Mm, I could go for a hot Benson. <laughs> That's Robert Guillaume's, like, what he made, like, in the kitchen when... Yeah, probably. Yeah, for himself. I can see his version of a Dagwood. Mm-hmm. The hot Benson on whole wheat. Yep. <laughs> Some, like, smoked turkey. Yeah, probably Helga yelled at him, because he made a mess. Oh, yeah, the gravy's gonna get everywhere. Oh, gosh. That's what yeah, makes you, the hot Benson You hot can't Benson. imagine having a hot Benson without gravy. Well, not cold gravy. No. Ugh. Nobody wants a cold Benson. No. Ugh.